voodoo lady. Shaking that stick, driving me crazy. Eyes red hazy. Doing that stuff that you do. Messing me yeah, up with your voodoo. voodoo. You drive me crazy with that boogie, 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 boogie. <laughs> You drive me crazy with that boogie, boogie, boogie. boogie. Your lips are hot and spicy. <laughs> dip, 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 dip. Serving up red beans and rice. <laughs> dip, 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 dip. At midnight, she's a howling and stomping. Dip, 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 dip. Making love to gators and swamping. Dip, 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 dip. I feel you inside me. Never once you deny me. Doing that stuff that you do. Messing me up with your voodoo. You drive me crazy with that boogie, 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 boogie. You drive me crazy with that boogie, boogie, boogie. And we'll end that fucking shit right there. This is about the wide episode. Start out log, Captain's log 12.1.5.9. And the USS Invert the Wide is opening another planet of Richardum and bullshit. And today, for the very, very first time, I got him in. <clears throat> Fantastic Phil. Thank you. Look at the crowd roll. Thank you. Fantastic oh, Phil. Thank you thank very you. much for having me. You're a long time podcast listener, first time <laughs> podcast guest. I <laughs> oh, know, it's been ages. And look, man, I apologize. I've cancelled and we've changed dates and we've messed around for so long, but you're finally here. That's all right, man. And life the, is busy. Yeah, life is busy. But you know what? You are the first guest I've ever had on this bullshit podcast that's rocked up with a notepad. Yeah. Right? Because <laughs> you've got, and you've got notes, you've got points. Points, top points. <laughs> but, I thought I'd bring it back. I'll, plus, well, memory is bad as we yeah. get older in our lives. Yeah. So I can't remember from yesterday from last week. But also, um, it's a bit old school, I suppose, instead of the modern you know, iPad and all that kind of stuff. So, well, we've yeah. said it very much a lot in these podcasts. Take me back to the eighties. <sighs> we, yeah. I'm mate, an eighties tragic. Same here. I was, I was almost gonna do another song for you. All right, <sighs> pump. Oh, I can't do it, man. I wanted Not to pump up the jam. <laughs> pump up the jam, pump it. That's nineties. Oh yeah, of course. Yeah, no, I was gonna do. I've been waiting. Oh. For a girl like you to come into my life. Whoa. <laughs> but I'll save that for another one. No, thanks for coming in, man. Appreciate it. We're going to get straight into it. Topic of the show is music. Why did you play the Ween or sing the Ween? Because song? I'll tell you why. You are one of the very few people that I know personally that likes Ween. Oh, right. right. And I've gone to so many people and said to them, oh, do you like Ween? And they're like, oh, they're weird and they're shit. Or, yeah, it's great stoner music, but it's too out of control for me. But you're one of the few people that firstly got me into Ween, right, and actually listens to Ween without substance abuse. (laughs) (laughs) Well, well, non-prescribed substance abuse. And you're the only guy (laughs) I know personally that that came to me and said, the Mollusk is the classic album, right? Not, only, but it, but not because it's weird, but because of Buckingham Green. Oh wow, what a which song. is a great track off that album, which was released in 1997, I think. Because Voodoo Lady was off Chocolate and Cheese. Yeah, that was in 1994, and Chocolate and Cheese. Let's let's agree has one of the best album covers in the history of music. It's Maybe awesome. not able to be sold in this day and age with the. I just bought the vinyl. All oh, right. I just bought the vinyl last week at, at JB Hi-Fi. 
And um, it's a, I, I think the mollusk is a, because that, that's a concept album, is it? That's all about being underwater and. Oh, look, yeah, Ween um, are one of those really eclectic, who knows what was going on in their brain. And I believe one of their early albums actually was um, uh, recorded and produced completely under the influence of, you know, hallucinogenic drugs. <laughs> Um, and it's un, it's almost unlistenable, like the early stuff. But then, yeah, I mean, Push the Little Daisies was yeah, that was probably their their pop song. If that yeah. I, that came out, I think we were probably it's showing my age, but we were in high school, and um, that was actually I think that was made it in the charts at some point. Yeah, <clears> that came out uh, early early nineties because that came out before Chocolate and Cheese and obviously Voodoo Lady. Yeah, and I think yeah, you're right. That was very early nineties. So you probably yeah, we could have been early. Like late, late into school. Yeah. Like almost at the end of our school years. Yeah, that's right. I look, Wiener, I guess one of those bands who were just so eclectic and nerdy and weird, but at the same time, very talented musicians. So they, they'll do completely wacky out there songs that make no sense. But the guitar and the music arranger behind them are, are so professional and well-structured. And then they'll throw in a like a love song or something you know, a classic blues song, and then go back straight back to a, a, a bunch of noise. But, um, oh, yeah, great, great band. Lucky enough to see them live a few times I was going to say, well. you saw them, didn't you? You saw Ween. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We'll talk, uh, we'll talk I guess, about more about yeah. more music later. But, um, yeah, they're, um, they, were, they were an excellent band live. Yeah. So we wanted to talk about bands. Yeah. And we wanted to talk about maybe gigs. Yep. And all of our little shenanigans with gigs. Yeah. So let's talk about bands that we love. Yeah, well, what? I suppose I suppose it's it stems from the. I mean, we've known each other for a number of years now. Yeah, we go back decades, to decades, man. I, we go back. It's got to be over twenty years because yeah, it yeah, was in yeah. the uni, like uni days. Uni days, yeah. So um, we all had longer hair, and I had hair. <laughs> <laughs> you had hair, and actually, you had a Gemini. Oh yeah, the when gem- I first yeah. met you, you had you had a sedan. I oh, know a wagon. It was the orange. Gemini yeah. manual wagon. I think uh, some of your previous podcasts I've listened to, it might have been Rocket Russell. I can't remember one. Shout out to Rocket Russell. He's talked about, or you guys have talked about classic cars yes. and some of the yeah. cars that you grew up in. But the actually the Gemini, yeah, I mean, that was a... Mate, I'll tell you now, I had a Gemini, but it, it really fell apart. Um, your, yours was an auto. Mine was a three-speed auto. It was a beast, <laughs> right? And uh, I had the original motor in it when I finally let it go, and I think it probably would have done about three hundred thousand k's. But God. the speedo didn't go that far. They weren't very yeah. good for overtaking the auto. No, Gemini's they had no they? power, man. They weren't <laughs> very good. And the, I'll tell you, the gear changes were awful. <laughs> like I remember driving that car, and it would go back a gear, and people would look at me and go, <laughs> "Back to second, back to second. <laughs> and it'd go. People would be sitting with me, going, "What was that jolt?" Oh, that was it changing gears. Like, it just fully <laughs> lurched forward to change a gear. It no, was, one of the wheels didn't fall off. That was the oh, gear man. And it had overheat at a set of lights, oh, too. Yeah. They were awful for Notoriously overheating. bad. Notoriously bad in hot weather, cold weather, Everything. rain. <laughs> Mate, in cold weather, it wouldn't heat up enough. Yeah. So <laughs> it would just, like, uh, at, when you tried to idle at a set of lights because it was cold, and the auto choke would always stick. Mm. It'd either auto choke. Remember how an auto choke? That was like massive in the 70s, right? And the auto choke would either stick and just go, it'd rev forever, and uh, or it wouldn't work enough. And so it'd be just sitting at the set of lights, just shivering and 
<laughs> we'd almost stall, even as an automatic. And uh, or in summer, like now, where it's getting quite hot, you'd be at a set of lights, praying for those lights to change to green so you could move, <laughs> so the fucking thing wouldn't overheat. Because you just sit there and you'd watch the temperature go, just go from normal and just go up and up and up. and there were so many times I it'd overheat. Oh yeah, and it just overheats so many times. I remember one time I was driving it and the bloody coolant was pissing out of the radiator. Mm, yeah. It's just, it was unbelievable, that car. It was just so badly designed for cooling. It was just terrible. I I have such a soft spot, though. Oh, so do the, I. For that car, for yep. for all its faults, um, for its overheating. Music-wise, it had a one-speaker mono. Yeah, it did. Um, that's right. So there was no... no just, great for I the am. Beach Boys album, because I think that's one of the only <laughs> albums that was ever produced in mono. <laughs> So um, that's out of straight out of the studio, but the Slayer album that uh, eventually got stuck in the tape deck. <laughs> you I had could, a tape that you must have replaced it, had a, it. No, it was the original. It was a seventy-five. I think that was probably the upgrade. I don't remember. Yeah, well, I didn't. Oh, have a tape actually, deck. sorry. No, that would have been replaced. Yes, because I only had an AM radio, and yeah. I replaced it. I went to good old Strathfield Car Radios. You know what? I've, I've already, I've already, we've already been sponsored. And not sponsored by Strathfield Car Radios, but let's do it again. <laughs> Let me find my little sound for this little bullshit. If you want to upgrade your Gemini's radio from AM to FM and be hip and cool with the kids, because FM's all the rage in 2019, go to Strathfield Car Radios and get it replaced. That's right. We're not sponsored by Strathfield Car Radios. I wish we kind of were. They probably don't want to know us. And you know what? In the modern world, I don't want to know them. The golf's got a decent stereo. <laughs> Strathfield Car Radios, check them out today. We're not sponsored by them. I repeat, we're not sponsored by them because no one will sponsor me. I do this for love, folks. <laughs> I hit this button and I don't need Jason for Relaxation anymore. Oh, Jason Relaxation. No, he's, he's become a suppressive personality. Oh, God. <laughs> I miss him. I miss his... Silent voice on the other end We're, of your I replaced, him, I replaced him with a sock puppet. <laughs> That's right. Retro Dan, hi. Fantastic. It's good to talk to you again. Has that sock puppet been washed? No. Okay. It's good. sticky. That's why it's standing up by itself. <laughs> <laughs> the Gemini, what a classic <clears throat> car, man. And that's when I first met you, I think, was at uni. I'm sure it was. Yeah, it was or maybe. Uni. Yeah, it a was whole uni. Group, whole group of us yeah. all sort of started this journey. In, in uni, so to speak. Yeah, and so. then the, the journey really was music. Yeah. Because, I mean, not, uni was uni, but music was what we always were on about when, whenever we caught up. So you had like, um, at that time, we were all obsessed with uh, Faith No More. Yeah, well, I and suppose, then, well, remember uni was in the 90s, so that's height of grunge, I guess. Yeah, grunge, Wasn't yeah. It? it was, yeah. Yeah, and I don't ever I don't think I've ever spoken to you about your feelings with grunge because I love grunge. So I I I, I liked Nirvana, I liked Soundgarden, I liked Pearl Jam, I liked Stone Temple Pilots, and I don't ever I don't ever remember asking you if that was your jam, no pun intended. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> if but cuz you were always into I remember and I'm probably thinking about this incorrectly, but I remember you being more into metal back then. Yeah. So you like Slayer, uh, and we can talk about metal bands too, because I know you didn't like some metal bands. Yeah. Um, 
But is that right, or have I got that wrong? No, I think that's pretty spot on. I mean, you like, weren't you weren't you weren't really into it, whereas I really was. I think in terms of grunge movement. Yeah, I, th- I think like probably like a lot of people, you know, your music influence starts really young. How you grew up, what your parents listened to, what shows might have influenced you as, as well. Um, I, I just one of the earliest music memories I have is actually the Young Ones TV show. Growing up, oh, we what, spoke about that with that. Yeah, we spoke. I spoke about that with uh, the Drunken Monkey yeah, recently right. on the podcast. Yeah, um, because the Young Ones would have, um, you know, uh, intermission and yeah, play some ska and punk bands. And I distinctly re- ring remem- a ding ding baby. Yeah, that's, that's right. right. <clears throat> I distinctly remember Motorhead being on one of that uh, their episodes and thinking, holy crap like you know they've got this giant beast of a man yeah. with a huge bass standing in the that sounds a bit weird standing uh, in the in the lounge room <laughs> and you know thrashing out punk rock and then that show just reverts back to the yeah. silly craziness that it was but um well the drunken monkey explained it to me it was because they needed and i'm probably butchering this they needed uh funding you, you didn't get funding from the bbc yeah and so right. the only way you could get uh funding or money for the show to complete the show or produce a show was to get bands in. Yeah. And, and, and I think that's what happened. He was explaining it to me and I probably got that completely wrong. And he's probably going, that's not what I told you. (laughs) 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 That's probably what he's saying right now as he's driving his car. But, um, yeah, they had the Matt, they had madness on there. They had, uh, motorhead. They had, who else did they have? There was so many bands they had on there. Mm. The young ones. Yeah. So that, I mean, and then, yeah, like just the other day, revisiting back out of the folks old place and um, going through the old records for one of the vinyl nights um, that came up, yeah, just yeah. seeing what the parents had and <clears throat> pulling out some of the LPs and stuff like that, you just realise that, wow, like some of the influence, like Santana is part of that as well. And some of the influences that your parents do like have and yeah, that's come down into... I suppose into my own influence like that, but yeah, growing up as a as a kid, I guess it was like any other Westy kid um, bloke who loved um, like heavy metal. Going through high school, it was all about um, the certain groups, but you know, rap was obviously coming into it. But a group of friends and stuff like that was uh, we're all into our into our rock and into our metal, and you just you know learnt bands and shared t- cassette t- yeah. tapes. That's what that's what we used to do like, yeah. at school. I remember there was this kid. And I'm not going to blame him, but he's partly the reason why I was never good at maths, <laughs> because at our maths, at our maths, you know, mathematics class, I'd I'd sit next to him, and it was almost like he was doing a do, like a drug deal. He'd go, "I got one for you," <laughs> right? And he had a he'd always have a cassette tape for me. God bless him. I don't know what, whatever happened to him, and he was so into music. He got me into music. Yeah. Even though I'd I'd really appreciated it before this, like I think. Uh, in 1986, I got my first CD, and that was Van Halen 5150. And but th- when I got to high school, and I was sitting next, this is about like year eight, year nine, so 1988, 89, and I sit next to this kid, and he'd have a cassette, a shitty old cassette, and he'd always record stuff for me. And he goes, "I got one for you." And I remember one of the first bands he got me into was the Pixies. Oh, yeah, right. Yeah. And and I remember going, "What the fuck is this?" Right. And uh, I think the album was Trip, I'm going to butcher this, Trip de Monde. Mm. Um, and it was, um, had like a song on there, Motorway to Roswell, I think it was. 
right at the end of the album and it blew my mind. And then after that, he I'd go back to like sit next to this kid in mass class and he'd go, I've got another one for you. And one of the bands he really, really like promoted and he loved and he was right into was Living Colour. Ah, yeah. Right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And Living Colour, we talked about this. I know we've talked about this before, Fantastic Phil. Living Colour was the band that got me into like, not collecting music, I don't think that's the right way of putting it, but buying albums in like in large quantities whenever I could with money. Because I listened to, I think the album was Time's Up. Yeah. And then I listened to that on this really shitty cassette and I loved it so much I had to go buy the actual album. And the album artwork was very 90s when you look at it now, but it was so amazing to look at and the album was so, what an album. And... uh I, I, I went back to him and I said, man, I really love that album you, you put on cassette. And he goes, oh, man, you should listen to their first album. It's Vivid. I think it was Vivid, the album before that. And then I was like, that was it. I was hooked. And every time, it was so bad. I don't know how, I, I think I really flunked mathematics classes in like year eight, year nine, year ten. Because all I do is I always sat next to this kid. And I don't know how he didn't get busted for talking, but he but it was almost like code. He'd just slip it underneath the table, go, I got one for you. And it was his shitty cassette full of different songs and stuff. And uh he was in a rap too. Uh he got me into like Ice T and uh he got me into uh Public Enemy and and things like that. And I like that and I've told the drunken monkey this and he knows this too. I like those old style rap albums with um like public public enemy run dmc and nwa um but i never i never really gravitated as much to that as i did metal because at one point i was pure metal yeah before the grunge movement hit so like like metallica and uh not so much pantera later on with pantera but i wasn't really into pantera as much but uh those sort of those sort of metal bands that were really pro megadeth as well Mm. Um, I, I don't know how you gravitated to it all and me, what metal bands you, you were into. Well, all of those are good well, good bands and good music to grow up to. When you're in, uh, you know, you're a, a kid and what what do we have? We had television as a form of entertainment, videos, video games. Video games, yeah. And um, whatever, sports, whatever you might have done and other interests. Your other, your other um, sort of optional way out for things was music. So obviously you're going to gravitate to what you, what you like and what you resonated with. But um, you mentioned Living Colour. They were the first yep. big band I saw at the Horton, Pav- Horton Pavilion when it was the other – I swear to God, it was the other way around. The Horton used to be set up um, the other way. So the stage, as we know it, was different. But um, Living Colour were the first – I just turned – I think I just turned 18 about that time when they first played at that gig, and that was on, the, um, on that album, The Time's Up. So that would have been actually what? no, sorry, that was on the Stain album. Stain, tour. yeah, because that was Stain came out in '93. Yeah, I'm sure it came out in '93 because we were in uni then. Yeah, no, well, that was high school. Well, you were you, you finished in '93, didn't Three, you? Yeah. I, fin- I finished '92. All oh, right, okay. So my first year of uni was in '93, and I I just remember loving uh, Times Up so much, and that was very much a high school album for me. Mm. And then I remember being in my first uni, and 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 Stain came out as an album and it had uh nothingness yeah i think as the uh first uh, track that they released i think and i remember going oh this is very different this isn't what i remember but i really dug that album but for some reason it was a bit darker and a bit more 
Yeah, I mean, I think. getting nerdy about it. They had a different bass player, Doug um, Wimbish, who came in. He was, I believe, he was one of James Brown's bass players, um, session guys as well. So he brought a different sound and look to it. And and remember, I suppose that's in that '90s period. You're either going grunge or you're probably going to go a bit more heavy if you're down that. You know genre what? As that well. was it. That was the two the two options. Um, not not for everybody, but it was for most people I knew. You're either in a heavy metal, traditional heavy metal, um, or you're. In, but but see, heavy metal in the '90s arguably died. Had a really rough period in the '90s. So if you were listening to heavy metal, you were li- listening to stuff in the from the '80s. Yeah. Right. '80s metal or even earlier, or you were listening to grunge. Yeah. That's how it was for me. And and bands like Living Color were a bit weird because they were a bit, they weren't really metal and they weren't really grunge. No, I mean, yeah. Well, Living Color, I think specifically, were one of those crossover typey bands. They were. I don't think necessarily two people were, well, I know in our group uh, at school, we weren't really isolating certain particular genres you go into and listen to from rap to metal to grunge whatever was new and popular and you know not popular or whoever brought in the the next tape cassette tapes just oh, going yeah. back to them they're, they're probably are they one of the only uh, like the videotape that actually degrades over yeah time? They, well they are you could wear it you could wear the music tape out yeah well tapes were wasn't there something about they're coming back people yeah, bring them they're coming back but i think they're coming back for all the wrong reasons they're coming back because younger kids like vinyl, they see it as being like a novelty. But the problem with uh, cassette tapes is their audio quality is really inferior to a vinyl record. Yeah. Right? Yeah. In fact, I would say a cassette tape is really inferior compared to even use, listening to Spotify. Oh, right? yeah, yeah. But so, the- And they really do degrade. And, and you remember the classic examples of tapes getting chewed up in tape decks. Oh, yeah, the Gemini, the, the one oh, speaker fuck. mono. Yeah, the one Slayer. Got yeah. And you'd get a pen there. out and you'd put the pen between the spindles and you'd actually fast, like you'd turn the spindle in the cassette tape to yeah. try and fix the damage that the, the cassette deck had, had caused. Or they'd um, they'd stretch so you'd get this <laughs> right? Or, or that just weird shit would happen to them, but they were horrible things. I used to love um, Side 1 to Side 2. So I had it, um, one of my favourite infectious grooves album oh great band was um and one of my you lie in your breath stank was one of the um that was a song that went from side one to side two <laughs> and you just get it oh fuck out the tape change yeah. it over get, quick. get off your ass get off your although the i'll tell you what the old man shout uh, shout out to to dad he actually bought a really expensive tape deck back in the day where it had an auto automatic Change from side one to side oh, two. Oh yeah, so the head would the head would move in the on the tape deck. But did it? Was it instant or did no? You hear this? Hear this? Right, and then it'd start up again. So there was a pause. But I'll tell you what. Back then, the idea of not having to get off your ass to flip over a cassette tape was amazing. Yeah. Right, it's like holy shit. And um, but you know what? I'm trying to uh, as I th- sit back and think about this now. Cassettes were really the only way I can think of right now. Back in the eighties slash early nineties, to actually record music and give it to a friend. Oh yeah, that's and the remember, only way. And bands would, yep. you know, their demos and they drop them down on a cassette tape and distribute them at gigs and stuff yep. like that. And so, yeah, no, the um, uh, yeah, and uh, you and make see, up your own mixtape. Look at Guardians yep. of the Galaxy. That whole ring a ding ding, baby. That's, that's right. right. <laughs> the whole 
well, look at the character. What's Star Lord or whatever his name? Oh, uh, yes, yeah, Star Lord. Yeah, yeah, like his his number one possession is a is a mixtape cont- exactly. And and everyone was doing that. You'd make a mixtape, or you give it to a friend. Or and classic example, like I said earlier, like going to a, a like school and meeting up with a friend and you go, I've got something for you. I think yeah. you might like it. And he's recorded it, and it was the quality was always shit. Like I remember, I got um, Guns and Roses, Appetite for Destruction, which is a classic album from the very late eighties, eighty seven. It came out, and I had that tape for so long because CDs were expensive, man. Back yeah, then, yeah, like back of brushes, yeah, that's, th- yeah, they were like 30, 30, 30 bucks, something dollars, right? Which Back in the like late eighties, early nineties, was a shit ton of money for a kid that wasn't really earning much. And if the song only, if the album only had one good song in it, then you're up creek. You're up you're the, exactly <laughs> right. So you'd sit there going, you know what? I'll put up with this really bad tape. And for years, I had Appetite of Destruction on this cassette tape. But at some point, the tape got chewed up. Yeah. And so I think it might have been It's So Easy, which is track number two. For years, I just didn't Well, know. it wasn't easy because it was tape, tape was chewed it, up. It was, so it was stuffed. I didn't really have a really good version of It's, it's So Easy for years, right? <laughs> and you know what the other thing is? You'd use cassettes over and over again. So you know what was really another good companion of cassette tapes? Liquid paper. Because you'd, you'd get the liquid uh, paper <laughs> yeah. and you'd liquid paper over the previous recording on the cassette and then you'd write the new recording and so if a cassette had been around for like 100 years, it was like a layer thick of bloody liquid paper on the actual sticker of the cassette, you know, of the case of the cassette. Does liquid paper still exist? That's a great question. I don't know if it does because who's using it? Who's using liquid paper now? Well, well I don't know. Well, I think it's gone down a rabbit hole, so it's gone. I could have used it for my notepad. I know. I scrub out some... You scrub out. Well, that's right. But then, see, but now people don't even use notepads, man. They would have, like, a younger person would have rocked up today on the, with their iPad, yeah, well, and, yeah, and had notes on their iPad or their phone, and they would have, like, that's it. Yeah. But, but now, so who, who who's using all that shit now? You know, like, <laughs> that's a great question. Who uses liquid paper? I don't know. It's gone down a rabbit hole, man. I don't know. Um, but yeah, now talking about cassettes. And um, that see that is part of music as well to me. Like how not only is the way like what you listen to, but how you listen to it as well. Remember that um, back in the back in the day, back in the day when I was um, a young man, you know the library. I remember someone at high school that you would think I was thinking, how the hell does this person get all these bloody? How are they coming up with all these albums? Were yeah. they loaded? Yeah. Are they what are they? Well, I said t- they'd go to the library and they and well, duh. Of course, you think about it. You just go to the library. You just hire a tape. They'll tape it on on their dual cassette deck and then bring it in and then distribute it throughout the whole school. Well, the kid that was giving me cassette tapes, I've just remembered this. His parents ran the local record shop. Ah, uh, right, gold mine. Yeah, mate. Yeah, and it was an independent, independent mum and mum and dad uh, battlers battler records record store in the local town that I went to school in. And he, that's how he got his music. So it was a haven for him, mm. right? And he would, oh, that's, I, I was thinking one, at one point, where are you getting all this from? And it was simply because he was getting the music from his, from his store, his parents' store. And, they were, and, they were, and he was like a junkie, man, I'm telling you. Because you knew that you couldn't get, get it straight away. In fact, I can remember, I can remember this very clearly now. In 1991, so I was in year 11, there was a, 
Use Your Illusion 1 and 2 came out. for That was, Gun- that was a big release, wasn't that it? That was a huge release from Guns N' Roses. Because yeah. if you remember, they, they'd had uh, Appetite for Destruction and uh, Lies yeah. had come out at some point. And uh, Use, Your Illu- Use Your Illusion 1 and 2 was like the big, most anticipated album for that year. Didn't that align with um, the Terminator 2 release? It did because uh, You Could Be Mine was the soundtrack for T2. Yeah. We'll, one we'll of talk the, about the Terminator we'll, we'll get, later. We'll get, we'll get to the Terminator at one point. But um, so I remember for some reason, maybe because I was privileged, I actually bought the, both albums on CD at the same time. I'd yeah. saved up the pocket money, right, and bought those those two albums for I think they were both twenty bucks twenty five dollars a pop. Yeah, I mean that's that's, that's a lot money. of money, man. Back then, back then, right? And so I bought both albums at the same time, and I remember kids saying, "Oh, I can't afford both of them. I'll buy either the second yeah, one which or one the are you first. Get? Which one are you going to get? Or the the blue or the yellow one? Was it yellow. It was yellow. Yeah. yeah. So uh, Use Your Illusion one was yellow and two was blue, and uh, I remember saying. Oh, I got both, and everyone looked at me like I had a silver spoon in my mouth. Like I was born with a sil- silver spoon, but that wasn't the case. I just saved up all my pocket money. But that's how expensive CDs were back then, you know. Did you ever see? I I have a confession. I never saw Guns N' Roses live. I saw. Were they not at Alternative Nation? No, they played out at Eastern Creek. Yeah, that um, was. Wasn't that Alternative Nation '95? No, they weren't part of that. But they did play a gig at. Um, Eastern Creek on their own. Because um, I saw them. Yeah, maybe you went to that. Uh, yeah, I did see them. I have I have seen uh, Guns N' Roses uh, back in, I think it was 95. You're right. I just can't remember the name of the gig. I can't remember if it was Alternative Nation, which was a, a festival. It wasn't just them, I think. But I did see them and th- they were fine. But, I, but the problem with them is, and the problem with Axl Rose was back in the 90s, and it wasn't so much the gig that I saw them with, he was notorious for being a prick in terms of uh, delaying the time that the band would go out on stage because he, in his head, and this has been well documented with you know different uh, documentaries that you can watch, where Axl Rose had it in his head that if you were late on the stage, you built the anticipation up of the crowd. But what that caused was actual riots. There's actually was it was it Guns and Roses and Metallica? They played a, a gig together, which is a weird gig. If you think uh, Guns N' Roses and Metallica, I don't think really fit in my little headspace. But they played a gig together at in some place in America, and uh, Metallica, I think, had been on or were coming on. I can't remember who was who when, when they went on and who went on at what time. But Axl Rose had got it in his head that he would be late to the gig because it would be the drama. But what happened was all the kids went fuck this, and they basically <laughs> tore the place down. It was a riot. Man, the cops came, everything it was out of control. And and people wouldn't work with him after that because they, you know, he he disappointed uh the you know Metallica. I remember that. And after that they had problems trying to trying to tour. Well there's late for fashion's sake and then there's late that's just now he pissed never, people off. You're never getting invited no. to my other my um my next time. You're not, you're not, you're not coming to my party because yeah, you don't even turn up to it. You know, like he was he yeah. was notorious for being a bit of a prima donna like that. Mm. And uh, I've read Slash's book about it, and it's interesting what Slash writes about him and and why he decided that that would be the case. And the band were at were um, at odds with him because he had this in his head that he if he was late to the gig, then everyone would be like really revved up to listen to them. But the actual opposite occurred. 
I'm amazed by some of these books. Like, and and you hear the stories about how um, how much how much drugs and alcohol oh, and debauchery all of them did. Yeah. Motley Crue, Aussie, oh, yeah. Gunners, yep. you know, you name it. Um, uh, Rick James and um, those guys, but yet. Obviously, as ghostwriters, but they remember specifics. I can't remember what I did. I can't either. I can't remember the drive over here. No, I can't either. Like I, I read Slash's book, and obviously you're right. It, he's he's got help writing it. He didn't write it. Somebody I think wrote it with him. I could be wrong on that, but I'm sure they call them ghostwriters, don't yeah, they? Yeah, ghostwriters. So he he had help. But you're right. He's obviously sat down with a writer and said this happened on this around this date. Holy shit! I can't remember that. And the amount of drugs. Or not so much with him. It was more booze. Yeah, they, slash. It was uh, it was out of control. How many times he wrote he 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 documented in that book. He'd wake up in some random place that they'd completely trashed, and there was booze everywhere. Yeah, it's like far out. How do you do? I can't remember what I did yesterday. You know what I mean? Let alone surviving the amount of alcohol you've drunk. You, you've you've had to drink. Over that period of time, it's it's insane. I'm pretty sure he's had uh, him and Duff had some serious health issues yeah, that required them to stop. Yeah, but stop they that life. But well, they yeah they that's interesting because uh, Slash and Duff would go on and later form Velvet Revolver with Scott Whalen. Oh God, there's a there's that's a story an artist who's just um, we saw Stone Temple. Saw Stone, yeah, that was I tell you that was random as random gigs because I somehow found out I can't remember maybe it was Jason Relaxation, shout out to him wherever he is, and uh, he said I think uh, Stone Temple Pilots are coming to uh, Australia and they did a gig, I think they did a gig at the Horden, and then randomly. They said, oh, we got overwhelmed with the support that we got and we sold out the, the Horden in no time. We can't do the Horden again. I think they couldn't do it. The availability wasn't there. But what they did, they did a show at the Metro. Yeah, and we got we got to that one. Yeah, and the Metro is a very small venue for those that don't live in Sydney. And we went to that. And that was a great gig. That was, that was in 2010. That was when they re- just released their self-titled album, which wasn't their best album. But he, he kind of looked pretty healthy. And so that was a great gig. But then after that, they kicked him out of the band again. This is Scott Wayland. He got kicked out of the band because he was back on the drugs. Mm. And uh, they went off and did their own thing, the band members. And then Scott Wayland, I think, kind of got himself back over the, you know, he kind of fixed his problems a bit. And he then joined forces with Duff and Slash. And uh, they they did Velvet Revolver. I'm, no, actually, I think... By the time we saw um, that gig, Velvet Revolver were done. He'd he'd come oh, back. You, no, you're yeah, right. You yeah, know he'd what? Come back. You're you're totally right. And, yes, um, I'm wrong. They were trying. Sorry, yes, they were trying it. They were just trying it again. That's right. No, I'm wrong. Sorry. And he yes. went off wagon and and then no, he was on. How's it work? On wagon, off wagon. Don't know. He was. He There's a wagon pretty, involved. Was, that, I remember that gig being really. You guys um, are probably bigger um, Stone Temple Pilots fans than I am. But I remember that being a really good gig and like vocals on point. Just a, a great show. The Metro would have, for those who've been there and who know it, that venue. You know, is it, one you know of another the best great venue. I'm glad you pulled me up because I'm wrong. Because you're right. Velvet Revolver was in the early or mid 2000s. And in 2010, they came back, they reformed Stone Temple Pilots and they did that gig at the Metro. So, yeah. So you're right, I'm wrong. 
But you know what else was a great gig at the Metro was Keen. Yeah. <laughs> you knew I was going to say that, didn't you? We were you? keen for Keen. We were keen for Keen. <laughs> you know, randomly, I was talking to this guy at JB Hi-Fi down the road here, and he's uh, always in the music section. He's, like, in charge of that that part of the of the shop. And just randomly the other day, we are talking about UK bands. Yeah. And he said, oh, man, have you ever heard of Keen? And I said, hell yeah. I saw them at the Metro. I don't know when it was. And uh, he said, yeah, I just got into them. I love the first album, Hopes and Fears. And I said, yeah, that's a great album, but I think Under the Iron Sea might be slightly better because it gets a little bit darker. That's their dark and broody, their yeah. troubling second album. Wasn't he uh, on – he had a drug, a drug addiction. Yeah, another no. tortured artist with a drug addiction. Yeah. And, um, and then he kicked it and they did uh, – what was it? Symmetry something. Yeah, which – when the when Shit. after rehab it was <laughs> get back on the drugs. Get back. I remember remember when that album got released. You said, you know what? I hate the new album. You should get back on the drugs. <laughs> That's a terrible. It's a horrible thing. Terrible to way say. of thinking about yeah. it. But sometimes creatively, I guess that's how. Yeah, that's what produces the, the amazing music. Yeah, I know. But that was a. I tell you what, that was a great gig too. I can't remember the exact year we saw Keen, but it was the. Uh, Unfortunately, it was the year when they released that new that that album that we didn't like, and because like most bands, they tend to promote their latest their latest stuff. But luckily, they did do the stuff from uh, Hopes and Fears, mm. and I remember them. Did they close with Bed Shaped? Oh, I can't remember now. I think they might I have. I can't remember that set list. Yeah, but we've seen, you and I have seen so many gigs, man. I mean, nineteen ninety seven, we saw Faith No More. Yeah, I mean, you know, yeah, lucky enough to. Well, I suppose um, Sydney um, and growing up in the 90s was the um, th- stories I've heard about how bands and gigs were in the 80s were really quite interesting. Like um, some of the people at uni, you, I don't think you knew, but they were they were seeing ACDC and, you know, yeah. the Excesses and the Midnight Oils gigs and so forth like that before our time. But they would say that they're just – they were great nights – um, you know, that was an era not condoning it in any way, but, you know, the, the drink driving and would occur and just really... I used to... Really I, wild type of gigs like Chisel and so forth, Beast of Bourbon, yep. Australian bands like that. I knew a guy that wor- that I used to work with that went to NXS. Yeah. An NXS gig at the Sydney, old Sydney Entertainment Centre. I think it was in 86 or something. Yeah. might have been earlier than that. And he said it, it was one of the best gigs he'd ever seen. And they all did it. They all got hammered yeah. and drove home. Drove home. It well, was the, another. It was just a different world. That back was then, you know? yeah, and that was the entertainment of that period of time for those people who were into that. Was the pub, the, you know, the pub rock yeah. gig, the pub show, and um, bands would, you know, they'd play their their music and then sell the, do the recordings and that, and um, but that was how that was done in that time. So coming into the nineties, I guess we had um. We started venturing out to the the lads and that um who were into it. We'd venture out and see as many bands as we could all over Sydney. So that was venturing from. Um, we spent a bit of time in um, Parramatta. There was a, a venue in Parramatta, um, the Collector Tavern. Oh, the Collector. Yeah, I remember the Collector. And um, that was a. There was a lot of Aussie, oh, very young then. I probably just turned eighteen, and um, just bands like. Your friends are Roms, Def Effects, The Meanies, Tumbleweed. Tumbleweed, yeah, I was going to say, I knew you were going to say that. All those, some of those, Grinspoon, Grinspoon. I remember seeing Grinspoon there, The Porkers. 
that, um, shout out to Rock and Rudy. He <laughs> loved the porkers. Rock and Rudy. He'd always go on about the porkers. So, um, but yeah, every weekend was just spent at that place, um, collectors having watching bands, and um, and then there were in Parramatta as well. There was, um, well, actually, Faith No More played in Parramatta. I don't know if you know that. No, they played at what was the Cobra Club, which was. All that I haven't been to Parramatta in years. I wouldn't even know it. But near the station, there used to be a venue, yeah, and it was a large pub. And Faith No More played on the Real Thing tour, so they played in a venue in Melbourne, and yeah. they played in Parramatta. This is again, we were, probably you and I were too young to even see that because wow. actually, by the time Faith No More toured on the Angel Dust tour, I think that I was in year either year eleven. Or well, something. Angel Dust came out in nineteen ninety two. And I got it the day it came out from the guy, from the kid I went to school with who whose parents owned a record shop. Yeah. He kept it he kept it to one side for me, right? And uh, so if that came out in ninety two, I was that was my last year of high school. So if they they probably would have come out what, ninety three? Yeah. Ninety three, ninety four? Oh uh, probably ninety three. Angel I think Angel Dust is a little bit earlier than that, but I can't remember what top made. Yeah. But anyway, um yeah, so you know, that that was a pretty big venue of at that time, well, the Cobra Club was, and the Cobra Club was, a, I think it was a Thursday night, and that used to be just like a, a nightclub for metal that had a, a sort of a genre of the eighties, uh, old eighties rock stars um, in there, and then us young up, you know, kids who were into the grunge and a bit more of the harder metals, your Panteras that were coming through, yeah, and um, and then just yeah, spent the rest of the decade just traveling to as many gigs as possible. Um, and then over time, I said it was a bit of a shame, I guess, wasn't it? Because um, a lot of the venues had shut down; they weren't profitable. Turkey machines came in. Yep. Um, the places like the Annandale, um, that famous hotel. Um, that was a place where all local bands would go to. Yeah, pretty was, much. And most kids would go to the Annandale Hotel to to watch a gig. Oh yeah, that's that's well. Back in the nineties, that certainly was the case. Yeah, and um, and up to Narrabeen as well. Yep. We'd go up to um Narrabeen Sands because they they all these places promoted it. They promoted the bands. They really, I guess, they did it for um for the punters who love the music. But I guess over a period of time, they were probably losing money. And then the pokey machines came in and changed the whole venue. Yeah, or maybe po- music changed. Well, pokey machines decimated a lot of clubs. Yeah, in a lot of ways, and a lot of those smaller clubs, you're right. They they ripped off, they ripped out their. Um, I'm not going to say dance floor, but it's the only word I can think of. Like that space, and put pokey machines there. That's yeah. what happened around that sort of time. And um, I know, I don't know whether or not um, a lot of these clubs ever really came back <sighs> to to know. have promote. And I, you know what, we we've talked about this. If you're a, a, a young bunch of kids that want to have a that have a band. And you want to try and play somewhere? It's a lot harder now. I think there's a lot less venues, isn't there? A lot, a lot less smaller venues to play at a like at, as a part, well, as opposed to a pub than there used to be. I think. Yeah, I guess yeah, I wouldn't know. I suppose because yeah, getting older and well, we don't go there we anymore. Don't go out anymore. <laughs> I don't like. The, I don't like the look of those teenagers. Oh, it's too loud. Get off my lawn. Get off my lawn. <laughs> oh, I've got to take my medication at 8 o'clock and I can't take that with alcohol. Oh, that shit. <laughs> oh, the crown just dropped. I've got to stay home and watch that. with the Oh, that's right. I got, well, <laughs> oh, what, the crown's on on Netflix? Oh, I think <laughs> yeah. I might stay home. <laughs> um, yeah, so it's even a struggle for me now to go out and watch um, watch bands these days, but that's just... Uh, 
I do like though how some of them. Um, well, you two are touring at the moment. Not that um, I'm going to this show, but I do like how even you two have sort of adopted a vintage style, and they're going back and they're playing the Joshua Tree. And it's are they really? Oh. Um, say what you want, whether you like their band or not. But even they've sort of succumbed back to a nostalgia stage. So, um, but that's what a lot of. Who was it we saw? We saw the Mannix, didn't we? We and saw Mannix Street Preachers. Did they play it? No, we, no, well, Weezer. It was Weezer. I was going, you know what? I was about to say that. Weezer dropped... Um, the Blue we, album. Yeah, so what happened was with Weezer was awesome. They played their normal set, right? They told everybody, it's going to be, I don't know, a two and a half hour show. We're going to play our normal set with all our different songs from our different albums. But then we're going to play the Blue Album, which was, I think, their first album from start to finish. And I remember standing there going, holy shit, this is amazing. They played it from like track one to the final track of the Blue Album. Yeah. Well, there's a lot of bands doing that these days, eh? Like I think they... Weezer were one of the first, though. Oh, yeah, maybe. They would have been one of the very first. Because then you had ideas in your head. You're like, oh, imagine if Dave Gilmore and Roger Waters got over their bullshit... They, they could do Dark Side of the Moon from start to finish. They'll never get out of it. Oh, they, they never they will, no. But that, that was the idea that was going through your head at that point. You These know? musicians who hate each other. Um, the Smiths. What a classic. <laughs> <laughs> I wonder if, if they actually did, if, if Johnny Marr and Morrissey decided, you know, let's put our differences aside and put it. I wonder how, how popular it would be now. Would people, do you think people would be, well, you know, in the olden days, you'd line up for Ticketek. Now it's all in, like it's all online. Well, course. you know what? I'll answer that partly because it was only a couple of weeks ago the Drunken Monkey put this to you know told me about this, and I don't, I don't keep tabs on Morrissey, but apparently Morrissey said some quite uh, outrageous things, and uh, and and uh, his popularity is waning. All right. Apparently, in certain places like in the US, he's he said some quite racist things, and he's very right-winged in his approach. Okay. And uh, look, I don't know. I haven't, I still don't haven't, I haven't looked at it. I, I don't really give a shit about Morrissey too much these days because it's not because of what he's doing. It's because the music he's pumping out, I'm not really into it because he's all he's doing is like covers. Uh, his last album was like a covers sort of thing. So the answer you're... Like, vint- like old school. Yeah. Because he was into really old sort of classic yeah. 50s type Yeah, yeah but I think it's cover... I, I don't know. It's like covers of other artists, not so much vintage stuff, like what Mike Patton did with Mondo Carne. Oh, okay. So remember, when I saw Ma- them. So we so did I. Yeah. I went. We, oh, yeah, right. I think we. I think you were with us. Okay. You were. Did, that was that the. See, that's why I got the notepad. That's where you knew the notepad. <laughs> Wasn't that the gig that it pissed down rain? Well, it was indoors. It was, so I don't remember. No, rain I went outdoors. I saw Mondo Carne. Oh right? no! See, no, I don't remember see, that one. Thing. So I, when I saw Mondo Carne, when Mike Patton was doing that. It pissed down rain. It was summertime and a thunderstorm came over and it absolutely threw it down and they had to go off stage for half an hour because obviously for safety, electrical equipment and water don't mix. And, and anyway, <laughs> good, good to their credit, uh, they came back out when it was uh, all cleared out, like the, the, the weather improved and they, they cleared the water away. And then Mon- uh, he, Mike Patton continued on with a set and at the end of it he goes, Thanks, Sydney. It was a bitch. <laughs> and then he walked off because he was soaked. Because yeah. uh, it, he, he, they actually continued playing up until the point where their stage was actually flooding. And he got soaked because he's standing out in the rain. Yeah, I, this is part of the... Now this is coming... This is part of the Sydney Festival. 
That's what it was. Yeah. Okay. But we did. I did see Mondo Carne. I just couldn't remember. We the went gig. to a different show. Yeah, we, we must have because he did play a couple of times. But um, to go back to Morrissey and the Smiths, I don't know, man. I think people would just go, you know what? I love the Smiths so much. I don't care what Morrissey says or what he does. I just want to hear the Smiths back and reform. Mm. But you know what? That's a like that's kind of like hoping Star Wars is going to be fucking good again. You know, it's not. I don't think it's going to happen. Well, know? there's money. Yeah, I don't know if I want to talk about Star Wars. No, we're not going to go down that rabbit hole today. It's music. Um, I can't do. I don't have the energy anymore with Star Wars. There's a lot of money in nostalgia. So, but I guess the principles of of Morrissey that just don't want to put that band back together, which I think is a shame because it is. um, it's I'd, a shame. I'd personally love to hear. We've we've seen Morrissey. I know we've seen Morrissey probably a couple of times. Maybe yeah. I know we've been to the same one gig together with him at least. But um, when those those Smith songs start up, and you you can't deny how like from a pop culturey thing how Ama- you know influential Amazing. that band has been, and when his voice still he looked after himself being you know he wasn't a boozer I don't believe and he probably didn't smoke or anything like that no, so he, he looked after himself pretty well from from that entertainment point of view so his voice was always on point, um so yeah it's a bit of a shame it is it is a shame you know what I. I I know the Drunken Monkey won't do it, but if the Smiths suddenly magically reformed and they were, you know, tickets were on sale, I'd go. Yeah, I think I, we'd I, all go. I know, you know, like I, I, I can actually, I don't, I do understand why people would say no, I won't because of what he stands for and what he said, but I, I haven't heard it, and I, I I'm not going to get involved in that. I, I, I said to him, I always separate the art from the artist because mm. quite often the artist is a is a interesting character and I don't always agree with the artist, particularly Morrissey, but I want to see the Smiths. Is that like you never want to you never want to meet your is it your um your influences? You never want to meet No, because I'll yeah, because I'm afraid I'll, they'll disappoint yeah, me. Yeah, they'll disappoint. They'll, they'll disappoint me. You know, like um well it's the same, like the doors, you know, you use them for an example. Jim Morrison, I don't think is a guy you'd want to hang out with <laughs> when he was alive. He would, I reckon he would have been good to have a at a party, at a party, he had to have a beer with. <laughs> he would have been alright having LSD with because he would have ended up at a Grand oh Canyon. But that's that's what I mean. The guy was a, he was self destructive. He he wanted to harm himself, right? And so, if I think if you actually had met that guy in real life, you would have been disappointed with him. I'm sure you would have. So I always go, you know what? I don't want to mix my art with the artist because they tend to be a bit weird. That's why they're creating something that. No offense, you and I can't do mm. as much as we try. We can't. We're not that. Cre- we're not thinking on that creative level because these guys live in a dis- different. Sp- they're not in the same dimension as you and me, man. They walk on a different plane of existence. Yeah, they yeah, really man. do. That's yeah. why they they write songs that we could never write. They, that's why they they have uh, that sort of talent because they're not normal people. Self destruction seems to be a trait. Absolutely. For a lot of it is. these artists. Well, look, hey, let's go through it. All the artists that I particularly liked are dead. Mm. Scott Whalen, dead. <laughs> Lane Staley, dead. Right? It's depressing shit. You know? It is very depressing. <laughs> you know? Uh, Why am I laughing? <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. Yeah, but all these guys are gone. Yeah. You know? No, nah, it's sad. Yeah, Chris Cornell. Chris Cornell. It yeah. was a big blow. He um, was, yeah. That was a bit. That was a shock, um, and um, Dimebag Daryl from Pantera. I remember hearing that. Although that was that was a that was crazy a bit of a crazy man who, yeah crazy uh, person got him on the stage. They were a f- Pantera. 
I loved that band. That the early few years, the Cowboys from Hell and the and the um, Vulgar Display of Power. Oh, they yeah. were actually one of the first bands I was terrified. It sounded a bit like a wuss here, but they were terrified of seeing. But Why? actually, oh, just the um, watching the Vulgar videos and yeah. and the metal and the crowd and all that kind of stuff. And I'm not a big bloke, no. But um, I, you know what? I could actually understand that to a certain extent because when. Uh, Many, many, many years ago in the 90s, I went to a big day out and I saw At The Drive-In. Oh, yeah. Right. Now, At The Drive-In released, they released some compilations and other side, like B-side stuff, but their main album was um, Relationship of Command. Yeah. And I remember they were the most intimidating, imposing people on stage for a start, but the way they just carried themselves and did they did some wacky shit on stage... And the way the crowd responded to their music was insane. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I didn't want to be part of the mosh pit. I didn't. Well, mosh is pretty violent. So. Well, they were. Well, some of them were, man. And at the drive-in, for whatever reason, they created that. Rage Against the Machine were a little bit. Um, they created that kind of craziness in on in the mosh pit as well. But they didn't intimidate people as much as I think at the drive-in did. At the drive-in, those guys deliberately. I heard a story, and I don't know if it's true. But they did a festival, this is at the drive-in, and they got boiling water, like they, they got a kettle and they, they boiled a kettle and they poured boiling water near the crowd. That's appalling. <laughs> That's they, I'm terrible. being serious. They got a kettle. They didn't pour it on the crowd. They poured it near the crowd. And the bloody, the water was like, so those that were right near the front, near the security fence or whatever it was, is the guy, the, the lead singer, I can't remember his name, he picked up a, a kettle of boiling water, and he poured it right near the crowd. You, you sure it's Th- just not one of the roadies coming out and saying cups of tea for anyone? Yeah. That? He sh- he tripped over <laughs> no. the tripped over the mic no. lead. But they had, Whoops. but they Sorry. had, they had crazy like stories about how they would intimidate the like the crowd. Yeah, you, know? you go back to um, some of the raw punk rock footage that you see in the seventies at places like CBGBs and stuff oh, like that. Oh yeah, and a band that I'm a big fan of is Bad Brains. Oh, Bad Brains, oh, Secret Seventy Seven. Um, yeah, what a they, song. Some of their footage and um, of the punk rock shows, you know, and they were really violent. They're just thrashing and running around and running into people and so forth like that. So imagine, you know, imagine being at CBGBs and seeing bands like the Ramones. And bands like, uh, yeah, Bad Brains, like you said, television, and television. Oh, what a band! Tele- Blondie, Blondie was Blondie? a big regular yeah. of um of that venue. Actually, I remember that's the only time I was proud of myself because I always look, you know, I thought, mate, feels like this fantastic, feels this demigod. It's so eclectic in terms of his music. If I can impress this guy with something in terms of music, I'll, I'll be proud of myself. And I remember saying to you, man, you've got to listen to this album. Or the, from this band television, it's called Marquee Moon, and it came out in 1977. And you're like, okay. And I think we, I don't know if you played it on your own or I played it for you, but you've gone, man, that is yeah. the vocals. Forget the vocals for a second; they're not that music great. Wise. But music-wise, the way that that Stratocaster, that Fender Stratocaster, and how clean it is, it's so 70s. But that is an amazing album. That mm. takes you on a journey. That album, Marquee Moon, from television. And they were one of the pioneers of CBGBs. Yeah, they're back up in there. New York. They're up there, you know. The Ramones, I think the Ramones is probably they're known the, the for best that known. venue. Yeah. Um, never went there, but just, you know, read a bit. And you know who else was? Twisted Sister. 
take. No bullshit. I saw a. a they're doc- not going to take it. They're not going to take <laughs> it anymore. <laughs> <laughs> they. I saw a documentary. It's on Netflix, and uh, they they were doing lots of gigs in the New York area because that's where they're from, and CBGBs was one of their home uh, venues, and uh, they basically tried so many times to break it out of America and particularly out of that tri-state region in New York. And um, there's a story where Dee Schneider, he, he tells a story that they go to Top of the Pops in the UK. I think it was Top of the Pops in one of those shows there. And uh, he's dressed up in all of his glam. Yeah. Like his like glam sort of gear. Hair teased up and all that sort of stuff. And the Brits didn't like that shit nah. at all, right? Because <laughs> no. their version of... Uh, uh, punk was, you know, Sex Pistols and that sort of stuff. And uh, he's on stage there, and apparently their biggest supporter was Lemmy from Motorhead. Yeah, right. And and they're doing a gig on stage uh, from, on, I think it's Top of the Pops. And you know how it was filmed in front of a live crowd? Top of the Pops, yeah. Yeah. They were big on, yeah. Um, what's the word, dubbing or whatever. What's that? Uh, live, live music. Oh, wow. Yeah, so they, they wanted, well, for a start... Dee Schneider insisted that they played live and they played live. But what was happening h- halfway through this, the, the set, he's realizing the crowd's not into the, the gig. And so he, but, but his be- biggest supporter is Lemmy from Motorhead. And Lemmy happened to be there to support them. And then halfway through the song, uh, Dee Schneider's like, oh, I don't think you guys are feeling it. Is it because of my makeup? Is it because of what I'm wearing? And the crowd basically doesn't say shit. So he takes some of his gear off. In terms of his like uh, makeup and his hair, sort of flattens his hair down and makes himself a bit more normal looking or masculine, I should say. And they're playing the I can't remember what song they were playing. Keep keeps playing the set. Oh, I, 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 you guys aren't feeling it. I know you're not feeling it. But you know what? Mate, is it something to do with the fact of uh, all of us being in glam metal and you guys like punk or something like this? And he's really antagonizing the crowd. Mm. And uh, all of a sudden, Lemmy apparently stands up and goes, I can't do a Lemmy, but he goes, Oh, this is Twisted Sister. (laughs) I fucking love these guys. (laughs) Fucking you better respect Twisted Sister because I love Twisted Sister. Right? (laughs) So after that, apparently the crowd, he won the crowd, they won the crowd over after that. With intimidation. With intimidation, <laughs> but because Lemmy was there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And because Lemmy said, well, you all love me, but I love Twisted Sister. Yeah. You need to respect them. And apparently after that, they oh they, they won over the UK and they recorded an album in the UK. But then when they went back to CBGBs after that, the crowd and the normal people that used to go to the CBGBs and other areas in the tri-state region kind of turned their back on Twisted Sister. Yeah, right. Because they felt that they'd sold out and 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 the and apparently CBGBs was like a really weird crowd where they really were loyal to bands. Mm. And if you suddenly became international, you're not our band anymore. Oh, you sold okay. out, and that was the feeling that they got from the crowd when Twisted Sister went back, and they had to win them. They, they had to win their own hometown back again. God. And but it was like a and Dee Schneider is like on this documentary going, well, it's a double edged sword. What could we do? I wanted to be. Big. I wanted to. I wanted to be an international rock band, and I, I had to. I had to move out of there. I couldn't stay in CBGBs for the rest of our lives, and if it meant that I pissed off the crowd from CBGB, so be it. God. Yeah. Wow. You know. 
Oh, it's interesting stuff that they say about the 70s because obviously back then there was no internet. MTV wasn't a thing until the 80s. So how, how, did, you, how did you actually get to be known and become international? You know? Yeah, the word of mouth, I, I guess record distribution was crucial, yeah. wasn't it? And touring, and tour- just and relentless touring. And the story about Blondie, because I know you're a Blondie fan, mm. apparently they were only big in Australia because they accidentally played the wrong song. No way. Yeah, there's a, a, a track, I can't remember the name of the album, but there's a track that goes, um, I'm going to butcher this so bad, it's like, darling, 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 something like that. It's a very slow number, it yeah. wasn't Heart of Glass. And they accidentally played it on the radio here. And I don't know why, but everyone started liking it. And Blondie got known for that song, but that wasn't the intention of the recording um, or the studio. They wanted to promote this other song, which I think was Heart of Glass. But Blondie actually broke it big with another track. I saw this all on a documentary, dude. (laughs) So weird shit like that. So the radio would have been so important back in the 70s and the 80s to try and break bands into international like molds because how else can you do it you know well that's isn't that queen's story it was um kenny everett that played bohemian rhapsody over and over and over again okay that um that helped launch them yeah um to a certain point like and break them out yeah in the uk at least um yeah is there a band we've the ones that we've seen is there anything that jumps out as in, in like really jumped out for you terms of like pure proper memory of awesomeness I'll, I'll give you the one i'll give you this one and i've told this story before faith no more which i think is my favorite band ever in 1997 we went to the horton pavilion to see them do the album of the year tour right yeah i've still yeah, got, yeah, yeah. i've still got the t-shirt yeah. now this is the memory of that gig i remember they did their set they did their uh encore and the lights went black and people started walking off. And I'd heard some crazy rumour that apparently the band would come back on five minutes after the lights went. Because you, you know you know better than I do. When gigs finish, the lights go off and then the, the proper like white lights come on to tell people to get out of the exit there. Yeah. And so that happened. And so I'd heard a story somewhere, somehow, that... The rumour was that once those lights went on, Faith No More would come back. But it was about five minutes after the lights went on and people would leave. <laughs> I heard this shit, wacky shit, like a wacky story that Mike Patton would come back on stage and there was a wacky story he made a toasted sandwich on stage. <laughs> That's that, They should have the kettle. From, yeah, um, yeah, from, from <laughs> at the, the drive-in. drive-in as well. You got yeah, a full lunch. Yeah, so there was this wacky story about that. So anyway, I remember being... Uh, of all places, I was with Pedro, right? And I'd said to him... Does Pedro exist? Oh, you tell me. You fucking know him. <laughs> I know. He's become an arch... Does he exist? Maybe in another dimension. Maybe in another dimension. No, so I'd said... Um, Two time and space. Well, well, you know what? It was a weird gig before that because as the lights went on, I turned to Pedro to go, look, let's just hang back for a second for, for a couple of reasons. One, I've heard this wacky rumour that they come back on stage. And two, because, look, it's, a, it's packed. Mm. We might as well let the people, you know, leave, leave the, um, the gig. And we turned around and there was our, one of our high school math teachers was there. Random. Just random as random. Right. Ensuring you're doing your homework? Or yeah, she must have been checking to see if I could do my, my, my fractions division. or my long division. But she was there and we said, what are you doing here? 
Mrs. Such and Such. She's like, oh, well, I'm a big Faith No More fan. Blew our mind. And uh, actually, uh, Rocking Rudy was at this gig. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right? And the lights then, people were leaving the venue. They had left. And then the lights went dark again. They went off. And Faith No More came back out and they did This Guy's In Love With You. Ah, uh, yeah, They yeah. did that Bacharach. Burt, that Burt Bacharach uh, number. And it was the most... In fact, that that recording went on to their uh, MTV recording. They actually had a... Uh, what was it? Um, like, it was called Live and Ready or something like this. And MTV at that time was promoting Faith No More. And that went on to their, 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 their um, show. And the actual song also went the, on the best of Faith No More. Yeah. So the best of Faith No More, one of the last couple of tracks is live recordings. And their number doing the Burt Bacharach, This Guy's In Love With You, made that recording. Now, I'm not, not sure if it was the Sydney recording or the Melbourne recording, but they did it, right? And they did Sydney before they did Melbourne. But we watched this gig and we're like, holy shit, that's amazing. And then uh, then the funny stories of gigs was the lights went off, for, this, went back on this time for real. We were all leaving. And we'd all parked at the old Horden car park there and it was like basically an old abandoned like paddock and it was like mud everywhere. It was dry and dusty. We're all covered in dust. And then we, we ran into, <laughs> we ran into uh, a, a guy from uni, who's Chubb. Remember <laughs> Chubb? We ran into him. Shout out. Shout out to Chubb. And we and we we ran into him and he goes, Oh, how cool is it? The suaveness, the suaveness of of Mike Patton and Rock and Rudy must have said something. And Chubb always replied with ooh. ooh. <laughs> ooh. He actually was the, one of the biggest Metallica fans I ever knew. Chubb. And yeah, he um in school, everyone sort of had their, yeah. their number one band. Like yeah. one guy was Motley Crue. A C D C or something. Um yeah, he was he was um Metallica. I, think, I guess I was like a living color and Fishbone. Fishbone's um, another great band too. But um, I distinctly remember that bloke had um, Garage Days on vinyl, like oh, an original yeah. pressing. And that was at a time when vinyl was way out of fashion. It was like, nah, not. So he sold it for the CD version. And I wonder now if that was something you'd probably regret. It'd have to because it'd be worth quite a bit, I'm sure. Yeah. Because if you could say, and I mean, collectors can easily determine if it isn't an original pressing and if it is it's got to be worth something ah oh, i suppose more about because you know they've just reissued it yeah right yeah i saw it uh i'm pretty certain i saw it the other day at, at a jb hi-fi because you know that's that's what makes me laugh now i walk into a jb hi-fi section uh record section and cds are less now than vinyl yeah there's yeah. more vinyl than there is cds vinyl's overtaken C- yeah. cds as yeah. officially now. yeah yeah it's crazy. Um, I would never have thought that back in the 90s when they basically killed vinyl. Anyway, I saw, I'm pretty certain I saw a Garage Days Revisited, I think it was called, uh, vinyl. And obviously it's not original, it's brand new pressing. But for a collector out there, um, if he had an original pressing, it's got to be worth something. Because that album was like pretty, was it like a B-side type? It was a B-side type. I remember it being recording. pretty rare at that time rare, yeah. in the 90s. Were you a Metallica fan? Yeah, I was, but up until a point, and I've had this conversation with Nuke and Earl, shout out to him. I really dug Metallica from Kill 'em All, Master of Puppets, and I really, really loved, oh, Ride the Lightning, and I really loved Injustice for All. The album that they tuned out or mixed out. Yeah. Um, Jason Husted? 
Yes. Yeah. yeah. I never see. I didn't know that as a kid until many, many years later. Where you hear it, and it's really like. Yeah. So you've got a much better ear than I do, but I, of course, I didn't know that. Now we do. We've heard the backstory yeah. now, and he's basically had some dirty laundry out about Metallica. Yeah, now Jason Newstead, he hates them, but uh, it's some bad blood. But anyway, I loved Injustice for All, but then when they released Load, they lost me. And, I, uh, and I've said this before, 1996 was a god-awful year in music for me personally because in 1996 we got Pearl Jam's No Code oh, yeah. and we got Metallica Load. It's sort of like... Two very, very, in my opinion, difficult albums. It's like... Very difficult. Their version of the Star Wars prequels. Oh, bugger, I've spoken about Star Wars. Oh, No! What do we do about get that? Back, get back, get back, get, get, off, get off it. Stop, don't go down the rabbit hole. No, look, here's the thing. Many years later, here we are now, and I actually don't mind No Code by Pearl Jam, and I actually can listen to Load mm. by Metallica. But I, they lost me. And the Black Album, which um, people loved in... Uh, was it 1990? That cop criticism, though, when it came out. That co- But I don't really... Uh, well, from the thra- the full thrash metal heads, because that really was a departure from that Bay Area, San Francisco thrash metal sound to a more... Oh, don't get me wrong, the uh, Black Albums, or, or I personally enjoy Well, it. you know what? Here's the thing. I See, go back to what you asked me about Metallica. Was I a Metallica fan? I was up until the Black Album. Mm. So, obviously, they released um, from the top of my, my ever-decaying brain and memory... And Justice for All came out in 88. And then the Black Album came out in 1990 or 1991, I think. That was a big year. That was a big year. Oh, it was 91 because uh, Use Your Illusion 1 and 2 came out the same year. Blood Sugar Sex Magic came out that year. That's right, 1991, um, yes. Ritual de la Habitatio from James Oh, Jay, I fucking love James Addiction. Yeah, that was a big album too. Actually, was that not? That was 1990. Ritual D habitual. It could have been. It was 1990, the year before. But that era, roughly, yeah, it was very big. Um, and so the Black Album... Oh, wait. And never mind. I should know this off the top of my head. Oh, never mind. Yeah, when that did was, that come... Uh, was it 90 or 91? I think it was 90. should know that. I, might just, I just might look this up very quickly because there's going to be a bunch of nerds going, you got it wrong, Richard. You don't know shit. <laughs> I think... See the notepad. Yeah, we need a notepad. I'm having to go to the... Uh, I can't even type in. I'm such a spastic. Uh, when was it released? 1991. 24th of the September 1991. So, yeah, I was right. So, 1991 was Blood Sugar Sex Magic, the two Usual Illusion albums by Guns N' Roses, and I think the year before we got the Black Album by Metallica. I'll, I'll check that too while we're at it. So that was a, uh, it was a big time, man. It was exciting. There's a lot but, of, but that, there are a lot of big albums released from a lot of big big bands at that time that have a huge, have had a you know a pretty massive influence on that type of genre going forward. I was right. So it was 1991. The Black Album came out. Yeah, there you go. 12th of, 12th of August, 1991. So, 1991, think about that year. Holy shit. Blood Sugar Sex Magic, Black Album from Metallica, Use Your Illusions 1 and 2. Well, there, and, look, ne- and was And never mind. Yeah, there you go. That's huge. Four big, whoa. Four big names. Right now, so the Black Album, okay, so I was a big fan 
of And Justice for All. I stand by that. Um, Master of Puppets is a classic. Well, Justice for All has got one on it. It's got one it? on it, Which yeah. is a pretty epic That's epic, metal man. song. Yeah, it's a, it's a great album and Master of Puppets is great as well. Ride the Lightning's great. And Kill Em All, it, it's, it's a great album too, right? And then the Black Album comes along and I didn't hate it. I must admit I didn't hate it, but in retrospect, I don't necessarily like the change. Yeah, yeah. It's a clear change. Yeah. Bob Rock produced, so yeah. um, it became a bit more alternative. Yeah. Or well, uh, rock, it's sort a of bit more soft rock or rock. Still heavy. It's heavy but. rock. Let's uh, let's call it heavy rock. But my problem with the Load album was, and I'm probably speaking out of my ass, and musicians will probably go, "You're wrong," and I'm happy to be corrected. But that felt more alternative, mm. in my opinion. It wasn't alternative like grunge. But it was more alternative for Metallica, and I don't think it suited them. I just don't think it did. And modern day Metallica, I just was it uh, sent uh, uh, sent what was it? Saint. I was going to say Saint Anger. Saint Anger. Saint Anger. I didn't like it. Yeah. I, d- I just didn't like it, and I don't know what else is. I couldn't care less now about Metallica. Sorry. At the time of this podcast, um, they cancelled, didn't they? They've cancelled. Yeah, they've cancelled. Yeah. Back but, in rehab. Yep. He's back in rehab. Yeah. But you know what? It was good enough for the band to actually do that, I think, to come out and be clean about it and say, yeah, he's gone back into rehab. And did they refund Did they refund people? I'm sure yeah. they would. Um, actually, band- you know, Nervous Nathan had a ticket. They, oh, they, oh, yeah, there you go. So, he, yeah, they. I'm sure, I'm sure they, they refund, refund. Yeah. Well, Kiss is another band that, well, I mean, they're, they must be getting very old, those boys. But um, they cancelled... Just this week, I believe, as well. Did they? Um, Gene Simmons? Yeah. He's um, something health problem, so yeah. they're, they're probably done. That happens, man. You know, like... but it, uh, They're all getting old. They're all getting old, but you know what? I would rather them come clean and say we're cancelling the gig rather than them turn up. Oh, a week before. And, yeah, perform half-arsed. And, half-arsed. and perform half-arsed and be drunk or be not with it. And there are a lot of examples of that shit, you know? You know, I saw a picture of... So- Change a radical fucking change of subject. I saw a picture of Celine Dion the other day. Oh my god, she looks like a scarecrow, dude. <laughs> I'm telling you now, you know. And she was like everybody's darling in the '90s, man. She's clearly got something going on there. Yeah, that's an artist I have not thought of in a very long time. I just randomly didn't she do the Titanic song? She did, and it was awful. <laughs> but I can't get it out of my head. I couldn't stand it. It was fucking awful. So what's your favourite gig and band then? Ah, look, that's the impossible I, I know, question. I know, There have been um, good good memories, though, are the festivals. Are those, you know, like, because you do get a lot of bang for your buck. Um, and we've been to a few of those festivals in our time. That Alternative Nation you mentioned, I think that was pretty important for us growing up to, to the first time to get so many artists within that one spot at that one time and of quality. Well, and I, a lot of bands were probably towards their peak, if not at the ta- like just on that a- approach of just had some great albums. They're at an age where they're still really hungry and want to perform. So, um, well, I remember I remember big day out so fondly because I remember going to the first one and I saw Nirvana. Yeah, wow. I remember seeing, but but then I remember seeing other bands. Maybe it was a later year, but I saw like Screaming Trees. Yeah, 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 and I've said this before. 
Screaming Trees, I think, are a very underrated grunge band of the era. And uh, I saw, so, you know, mostly through the 90s, I went to quite a few big day outs and saw bands like, uh, I think, Nine Inch Nails. We saw saw them. I know we saw them because Rocking Rudy was there with us. And uh, I saw the Chili Peppers, but every time I saw the Chili Peppers, I never, they were never on... On, on song, they they just disappointed me every single. Every maybe single they time. needed a, maybe they needed a smallerish venue, but oh, you're never yeah. going to get that because they're so they were so popular. Yeah, I know. I so I, yeah, but I and then we went to the Soundwave festivals and I tell the you more metal orientated. Yeah, more metal, and I tell you, I think it was 2010. That was the year of dreams for you and me, because <laughs> that was the year I'm sure we saw Filter. And I remember standing there beside you, and uh, Rich, Richard Patrick came out. Is it? Wait, sorry to interject. Isn't, didn't you say he's the brother of? Yes. Again, Ro- back yeah. to the Terminator. So Robert Patrick plays the Terminator. He's a he's an actor. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's in many different things. He, he was, was the T one. He was the T one thousand. Yes, he was. Yeah. That, so so his brother is Richard Patrick. Yeah. The lead singer of Filter. And we saw them in 2010, and I remember standing next to you, and they did "Hey Man, Nice Shot," yeah. and you stood beside me, go the tingles, man, the tingles. <laughs> it was unbelievable because that's a band that I never thought I would see ever. Yeah, right? yeah, yeah. The only thing that let them down, like I've said before on a podcast ages ago, was they 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 wanted to play more of their new stuff, and their new stuff just didn't do it for us. Filter weren't really a popular band. They were, they had a small think. stage. Remember, they had a small stage to yeah, the side. Yeah. And then uh, that was also, I think, the year that Jane's Addiction came out. Yeah, with the original lineup too. Yeah, there's an Angry Man Ooh. and a bunch of ego band examples. Yeah, I saw one with um the bass player Eric Avery Everett, reluctantly coming back. Well, allegedly, was what I heard playing bass for them. And then you've got Dave Navarro and Perry Farrell. That was a like loving between Absolutely. the two. Of them. That was just that was so bad because. At they the make end. good. They make both. Each of them make good front people and entertaining musicians because they're just so in love with themselves. <laughs> I remember at the end of the gig, Rock and Rudy was standing next to me alongside you. Shout out to Rock and Rudy. Shock, shout out to Rock and Rudy. Uh, and we. This is a band we never thought we would see, especially the original lineup. And they came out and they did a lot of the original, like a Nothing Shocking album, which is a classic album. And it was the original lineup. And at the end of the gig, that, and they, they killed it, by the way. They were way better than we thought they would be. And at the end of the gig, Dave Navarro and Perry uh, Farrell are basically hugging each other, slapping each other's back, basically take a, get a hotel room, man. That's how bad it was. I might be exaggerating too. I swear they were pushing each other out of the way. They to, were. They to were. be more in front of the spotlight. They were. And what's his name? Eric Avery, the, the bass, bass player. player the original bass player. He walked off as soon as the set was over. Yeah. And then a couple of days later, I get a text message from either you or, or, or Rocking Rudy saying, oh, they're broken up again. Yeah, yeah they've, they've had yeah. a couple. Yeah. And, uh, but, you know, I love that sort of weird intrigue. And you've always told me some weird intrigue stories like uh, the Manic Street Preachers, great Welsh band that we saw, I'm sure. I've definitely seen them. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. And their original guitarist or bass player, I always get that mixed it's up. It's the singer. S- yeah, oh, the yeah, original yeah. singer, yeah, yeah. He disappeared. Yeah. He I, literally disappeared. 
Oh, I What's know the story with that? You, I know you've discussed aliens before. I don't think he was a, an alien. <laughs> <laughs> I did it for you, man. <laughs> I don't think he was abducted by aliens, but he definitely disappeared somewhere in Wales, off off the bridge that connects um, England to Wales, and just vanished in the river. That's um, oh, what's the river? Seine, Cern. Uh, it's got a ridiculously strong current. But anyway, um, but then they replaced with um, the guitarist. Yeah, his name is now past me. Uh, Bra- uh, Bra- Brayfield, what's his name? James D- James Dean James, something. James anyway. Dean Brayfield. But you know, I don't, it's probably everyone likes music for their own reason. But I actually think that got the new guy. Well, oh, he's way better. He's, way better. <laughs> he's an awesome singer, man. But he, um, they toured that one of the tours we went to with them. I think you might have been there. The only reason they toured Australia is because the Rugby World Cup was on. That's right. So that was just the... Do you remember the... Because the they're massive they're massive Welsh yeah. rugby fans. So you remember that uh, was the not the previous World Cup that's just gone. It was, I think, the World Cup before that, Rugby World Cup before yeah. that. And so, uh, or maybe even before Actually, that. Actually, it was the Australian Rugby World when they when it was here. Yeah, so it was here. So it was eight, that years, was eight years yeah, ago. Ages ago. Maybe more. Anyway, Richard Dean yeah, Bradfield. I think there. it's it. I think it's Richard Dean Bradfield, the lead singer. Yeah. When we finish this podcast, we'll go, fuck it, that's not it. I'll put it in the notepad. Yeah, put it in the notepad. He gets up there and he goes, I can't do it's a, a hard I can't do a Welsh accent. But you used to you used to think he looks like a guy that would shiv you. Yeah. You know, he just but he goes I can't do the accent, so I won't, but he basically goes, We've got to get on with a set because the lions are playing. Fucking yeah. lions! <laughs> and he's got the microphone and he's shaking it. But they're such a great band. But I love the backstory where the original guitarist, he disappeared off the face of the earth. No one knows what happened. No one knows there. what happened to him. But there was a major police investigation with this. And um, there were many people that have come. There's actual, I was telling you before we recorded, there's a documentary on this. I'm sure it's on Netflix where... They talk about the backstory where he disappeared. There was a major police investigation. His family went looking for him. But they've since come forward and said, look, he did have major mental health issues and he was struggling with the growing popularity of the band, even though at that particular point in time it was very localised. It was more like in like Wales and maybe parts of other parts of the UK. But he disappeared. And since that, this is going back, what, 20 years now? Oh, yeah, since, and some. And then some, like 25 years. Since then, apparently the guy's been cited <laughs> by the band members. With Tupac and with... A- <laughs> yeah, no, 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 no. They reckon he's still alive because they never found a body. Yeah, right. They never found a no, body. That's plausible. Yep. So the poli- they went thorough with this shit. This was like, you know, CSI shit, right, where they went looking for him. <laughs> <laughs> They went looking for I love him. that button. It's one of my favourites. This is my <laughs> other one. Right. <laughs> but they went looking for him and they couldn't find this guy. No trace of his body, no trace of any, like, uh, torn fragments of his clothing, all sorts of stuff. But since then, the band members claim they have seen him. But he's completely, he looks completely different now. Not because of just age, but he's changed his, the way his hair is and all that sort of stuff. Yeah. But he's always in the distant side of your vision and he disappears forever. Like, and then, then he'll come back and disappear. So they, the band members firmly believe he's alive. Wow. And the band members, uh, like I'm sure his name is Richard Dean Bradfield, and all the other band members have tried to, they're continually looking for him. 
gosh. They haven't given up hope they'll find him. And they're actually saying in the, in the documentary they're not angry with him. And if he was to come forward and sit down with them, they wouldn't have any ill will towards him. They just want, him, they just want to know he's okay, hmm. which they're is right. so odd. Yeah. You know, like it's such a weird story that he disappeared. And then the other story you told me about the lip was it the Libertines? Ah, uh, the UK, the UK. You gotta, yeah. you gotta give credit to how much quality has come out of that whole area. Yeah, it's insane. As the nineties was a strong. I mean, you can, you can say from every decade if you really. Well, the nineties, the Britpop scene was huge. Britpop. Yeah, yeah like I did Blur, like Blur did, and Oasis. I did like how they turned that into a football match. Yeah, like basically, you know, Manchester versus. Was it Blur from South London? That's right, yeah. Um, Wasn't yeah. there some shit about Blur, though? How Tony Blair got involved? <laughs> How did Tony Blair get involved? Well, for, I don't know, votes, probably. Oh, did he? I guess to be more progressive. Oh, or, right. But didn't Blur get in the shit because uh, the, the album with Country House on it? Yeah. They made themselves to be uh, poorer than they actually were. That's the Great Escape. The Great Escape album. I'm sure that's yeah, what it's called. Yeah, and so they made themselves out to be like the, the blue-collar type. Oh, uh, working they, class. Working class people, but they actually weren't. And so they got a bit of shit over it. I remember here, I saw a documentary on it. Yeah, Damon... Oh, Damon Alba was portraying himself to be this... Uh, Working class guy, but he actually was a uni slash. Oh, I get what you mean. Do you know what I'm saying? Yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. So they were writing songs that were trying to appeal to the working class and made themselves to out to be working class people, but their actual backstories, their real life were stories, quite were quite posh. Rather than lads down at the exactly track, right. They're writing on the dogs. exactly. They're writing uh, lyrics and 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 songs to, be, to portray them to be, you know, lads down the pub, working class people. But they were one hundred percent quite posh. Yeah, you know. And I remember there was interviews with uh, the the Gallagher's. <laughs> like the, they hate each other. They hate each other, man. Like they're still to this day going on attacking each other, and oh, it's they strange. won't they won't give it up, man. But I remember was they're it brothers? Yeah, but Nolan Liam Gallagher actually were united for one time, right? Where they were actually ganging up against Damon Albarn from Blur. And so Oasis were like the, the 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 Gallagher brothers from Oasis were like, I got nothing against. I can't do their accent. They go, I got nothing against the geezer, <laughs> but he's creative. But really, he writes about total shite, yeah. right? He's just everything he says is shite. Even though he might be creative, he should use his creative talents to better use. So the Gallagher's actually kept nitpicking at. At Damon Albarn quite a bit, and then the then the bloody uh, record studios got involved with it because then they release their brand new singles from their brand new albums on the same day. Yeah, in like was, ninety, I think it was ninety five. They did that shit. I cannot remember the two specific songs. It might have was been, it Country it House. Co- that, was it Country it House? Might have been that, but I can't remember. Was it Country House versus Wonderwall? Oh, I can't remember the, the two songs. But but they, but they did do that. They had the record company companies both said you know what this rivalry is great mm. and so blur put out i think it was country house i'm probably am wrong too and then there was a uh, and blur put out i oh, sorry oasis put out i'm gonna assume it's wonderwall but probably wrong and they and it was like made the made the news yeah. in in, in the uk a, like a sport that again that's their press where, yeah you know they they turn everything into a 
a sporting yeah, match, some sort of match or something. Yeah, it was uh, it was beautiful. There, um, one of the remember that ninety nine Luft balloons. Oh that song yeah, ninety nine Luft balloons. There was one. There was one top of the pops show that they were talking about how that that when that song became really popular, and it hit the top of the charts in England. And the Sun, one of the newspapers, it might have been the Sun, promoted it as um, this is the f- the first time we've had a German invasion <laughs> since the Blitz. You know, like Germans have been inv- <laughs> Germans so have, stupid. have invaded Britain again because that ninety nine Luftwaffe. And so they they do do a quite good tongue in cheek. Um, yeah, the, the press over there is very different to here. Pretty brutal. It's pretty brutal over there, and um, you know, I didn't really know how brutal it was until I went over there myself and started reading their newspapers. But uh, I, I just love that rivalry between Blue and, and Oasis. And you know what? Arguably, I like both bands. I really do. Especially uh, Oasis with, uh, what's the story, Morning Glory. Mm. Morning Glory. That was, that, that was, that's a classic album. But I, the only thing I'll say about it is I felt that Blue was always a little bit more creative. That's just my take on it. Yeah, I, I could agree with that point. Um, I don't. You sort of pick the influences of who inspired. Oh man, the, the Beatles, bands. Oh, a, Beatles Oasis, are clearly Beatles. Oasis for the yeah, Beatles. Clearly, like that, and Blur probably probably had a little bit of that. Yeah, who they know, did. Who knows? Probably a bit of the Beach Boys, a bit of all sorts of influences that came into them. Alex James, their bass player, I always thought was quite an interesting interesting. Um, person he um reportedly um did so much cocaine in his time that um he spent i I don't know allegedly it was up to a million pounds or something in his life on cocaine and then the bass player for the bass player for blur for blur so in that sort of debauchery again in that debaucherous self-destructive state but now has completely stopped did a tour of um, Columbia and so forth yeah. and realised, like, oh, gosh, like the impact of that it had on his life and, and, and so forth and gave it all up and now um, basically owns and operates a cheese farm. Oh, yeah. I saw a documentary about Blur mm. and Graham Coxon, the, the guitarist, is an interesting character too because he walked away from the band at one point. He's back now, I think. But he walked away from the band at one point because he just didn't like the fame. Just didn't yeah. like it. Just tried tried their own self. It reminds me a bit of Johnny Marr. He's very much he influenced. Reminds me a little He's bit like Johnny Marr. He is. Sort yeah. Of did that sort of solo stuff. Great guitarist in their own right, but sort of not quite the you know. I know the Gallagher brothers have been on record saying they love Johnny Marr. Yeah. <laughs> Was it Noel when Gallagher not, when they're not yelling at each other? When they're not yelling at it, but Noel Gallagher's like the first time he saw. Uh, Johnny Marr, he couldn't believe how cool he was. Even his hair, he goes, and I, I wish I could do the accent, but I can't. And he's like, I saw that guy and his hair was so so cool. I just wanted to be like Johnny Marr, you know? Got that, a lot of good, a lot of good bands came out of that. Well, I, Arguably I, in the, I mean, you could, for whatever genre you're like, but in the 90s, a lot of quality came out of England from that. Well, uh, you know, another band in the 90s that you and I used to talk about, Radiohead with The Benz. Yeah. A classic album from 1994, I think it came out, The Benz. What an out fake plastic trees! I remember you loving that, yeah, yeah, that song so much. Like that, you know, they're all they're all different, but they've all got this sound that you know straight away is from the UK. Mm. You know, it's not from the states, and that's interesting with Blur. 
when they released, I think it was a self-titled album, and it had song two on on the on the album. That album there, one hundred percent. Graham Coxon made a conscious effort to be more grunge, right? Because he liked Nirvana. He liked what was going on with over in the states yeah. with Nirvana, and um, he wanted to sound a bit more grungy. And 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 so and so did Damon Albarn. They all got on board with it. That's why you got song two from, and you got a little bit of and Beetle Bum as yeah, well. Yeah. I like and that. I, I like, like that Beetlebum. <laughs> what you done? She's a girl. He really brings out his accent on that. Oh yeah, on that song. Yeah, no, it's a, they're a great album, a great band, and I, I I liked Oasis too, but I just felt that Oasis, they they really, I liked What's the Story, Morning Glory, and the album before that, which is definitely maybe I think it is. They were great albums, but. After that, they lost me. Whereas I think Blur, apart from Think Tank, when Brian uh, Coxon left. I wasn't a fan of that. I wasn't a fan of that either. They lost me. But he came back and they did um, an album a couple of years ago with Brian Coxon in it. So the original band members back. And I I felt the problem with that album was was that it was all their own individual... uh, uh, projects that they'd had on, you know, their own solo projects that they'd had while being away from Blur, they mashed it all together and made this album, and I didn't really dig it as much. And I don't know where they are now. I guess like most, you know, they all grow up, move on, come back, try it. Doesn't really work out. Never as good as what it was, you know, the original, the original years and albums. And I like your old stuff, not your. I like your old not stuff your better than you know. that, Well, that was a that was a regurgitator song. <laughs> You ever know, remember Regurgitator yes. from the, like, the 90s? Yes. An Australian band? They had a song, I like your old stuff better than your new stuff. Well, another bizarre Australian band off on that tangent. Do you remember Tism? Oh, shit, yeah. I never understood. No, I didn't like them either. Oh, really? No, well... Do you know they're alleged... Uh, again, wild rumour, no substantiation behind this, but they were alleged to be teachers because they only ever really did their shows in school holidays. <laughs> Are you serious? Yeah. <laughs> That's so crazy. They only ever did a gig in a school holidays. Yeah. No, Tism, I just felt... Like, they had songs like uh, I Took the Drug That Killed River Phoenix. Greg the Stop Sign. Greg the Stop Sign. I just felt that they were a bit more of a party band as opposed to a serious band. Oh, they were political. Political. They were very... um, Yeah, no, they had a a sarcastic and... I mean, you can Bit be a, a sharp tongue. Yeah, you can be a funny band. Like Blood Bloodhound Gang's a funny oh, band. They were there. I they actually, in terms of worst gigs, the Bloodhound Gang were up there with one of the worst gigs at the Metro. Really? I, probably was a midweek show. Yeah, I reckon about oh God, guesstimate probably about twenty people there. Yep. And it's the only one of the only times I've seen the the singer berate the rest of the band. Rock and Rudy's been mentioned a bit. Time. I wonder if Rock and Rudy was there. I can't remember. But um, the only time I've seen a singer berate the band is like turn around and literally abuse them. Not James Brown style for alleged. You know how James Brown would talk <laughs> about and put everyone into line, and he'd he James Brown supposedly would walk part of his dance move as he was dancing around the stage. He was looking at the band to check if their shoes are polished enough, whether they're dancing right, and so forth. And he'd find them on the spot, like he'd click or something like that as he's going down. Clicking, clicking, clicking. You've got to find, you've got to find, you've got to find like that. But I, the Bloodhound Gang one was just, that was awful. They yeah. didn't know the songs. They, they. oh, anyway. That, and, and they had that, that, was it the things on fire, the roof, the roof, the roof is on fire. I wasn't, that wasn't the Bloodhound Gang. Wasn't that, um, 
Yeah, that was them. Was it? Anyway, they were they oh, were probably one of the you're worst right, bands I've ever seen live. You're right, they were. At a fantastic venue, the Metro. Oh, the Metro is one of the best venues here. Oh, the, not that we're sponsored by the Metro. <laughs> the, the mighty, mighty boss tones. <laughs> no, not that we're sponsored by the Metro. Oh, well. <laughs> if you want to go to a good gig, why not go to the Metro? That's right. The Metro is only a small venue, but sometimes good things come in small packages. That's what she said. The Metro. Check it out today for a gig. You won't be disappointed. We're not sponsored by the Metro. I wish we were, but we're not. Back to it. I need to press this button. There you go. We don't need Jason Relaxation. <laughs> yes, I haven't seen Jason Relaxation in a long time. I haven't either. <laughs> he had a hissy fit and fucked off. That's it. <laughs> no, he's... Uh, He's a busy man. He's a busy man. He's a busy man. Now, I haven't seen him for a while myself, but it is what it is. Now I'm left to do this all myself. And you're doing a very good job at it. Thank you, fantastic Phil. That's why you've been a fantastic guest. Have we got anything else we wanted to say about music? Oh, look, you can go on and on. No, 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 it's a rabbit hole. Music. There's a rabbit hole. Genres, We talked about the so Libertines forth. crazy story, didn't we? Did we talk I don't about think I... The, no. The guy that robbed the, the, the Libertines? Oh, well, yeah. Did we talk about that? No, we didn't. Pete Doherty. Um, I I don't even know if they're still around that band, but no, basically, I think they're gone. The Libertines, I think. I'm sure he what he did was he and his other bandmate Carl Barron, running off memory of that guy, the guitarist as well. I quite enjoy the Libertines. I thought yeah, they were good they were, from an Englishy punk rocky yep. slacky sort of sound. But um, I think he had a bit of a drug problem that singer, and he broke into his own bandmates. Um his own bandmate's house and stole all his gear. <laughs> That's a crazy story. When, when you told me, so I remember when we were hanging out at like uni in the early days, you'd tell me stories about bands. So it wasn't just the music, it was all the side stories. And those two stories about the Liber- the one about the Libertines and then the, the one about the Manic Street Preachers, I'm yeah. like, this is the craziest shit, I love it. You know, it's, so you got more, it, the music means more. Yeah, yeah, you know yeah, what I mean, yeah. like because you know that they've had so many, uh, t- so much turmoil, turmoil. I can't say that word, turmoil. That's another word you can quote me on. Drunken monkey, turmoil, turmoil. <laughs> he he rang me up the other day. The drunken monkey he goes, "I'm looking for the guy that can't say the word apocalyptic, a papa, a papa, like fish called Wanda, apocalyptic." You're looking for the Ken. Nah, so music, man. The the rabbit hole is real. You can't get out of it. It's a good rabbit hole. Oh, it's a great rabbit hole. But I, I must see. I must say, before we finish up this year, I haven't purchased like personally bought much new stuff. No, the only I understand that. The only thing I've I've actually purchased recently was the new Tool album. What do you think? They've just announced their tour. Yes, I know. I really want to go. I won't be going. Yeah, you're not, you're not interested. I have seen Tool. I have seen them. I yeah. saw a Big Day Out. I'm sure they were at Big Day Out at one point. And I, I, I will, I'll say this about Tool as a – well, my impression of them when I actually saw them live, they're a very t- intense, interesting band. Oh, yeah. You know, no, Maynard – at this, this, at this point of time, for this particular gig, he stood at the back of the band because he had this idea in his head that the band should be – is more important than he was, mm. so the band got more uh, like more visual space than he than he want like would normally give a band, and he stood right at the back, 
And I personally didn't dig it. But they, they, but they sounded unreal, but yeah. they were just intense. There was no action on the stage, you know? Mm. Whereas when we saw Rollins, oh, yeah. you know, Henry Rollins for the Rollins band, I mean, that was pretty intense. The guy does, like, um, push-ups and stuff before he goes out on stage. And he's ripped as shit. Like, he's unbelievably ripped. And he's just got one white light behind him, and he's just tearing it the whole time. And shout out to Rock and Rudy. He loves it when I say this. Tearing us apart. <laughs> I'm a liar, a liar with my pants on fire. Tearing me apart. In my humblest opinion, mm. that's actually one of your most accurate um, impressions. Well, because <laughs> I should do a Roland song from, for, for a podcast one time. I'll tell you, that was a good gig too. Oh, yeah. Roland's band was a great gig. Yeah, yeah. Well, At, Again, the Metro, man. The Metro. Shout out to the Metro. Shout out to the Metro. Well, uh, Roland's band, it's just uh, musicians and him in front. He he was a CBGB's guy too, I believe. As yeah, well. he was with Black Flag. And that punk rock yeah, stage. Black Flag. Really important punk rock. Yeah, Black Flag. That's it, isn't it? You can just go down a rabbit oh, hole it's a rabbit of genres hole. and so forth like that. But I do agree with you. I must admit, maybe it's an older thing and getting into a comfort zone, but going back more vintage style things that you knew of as opposed to seeking out new i've i always thought i'd be the type of person that no i will progressively be moving on and updating music and always going with the flow and the trend but no nah. you've gone back to the 80s you're a yeah, big 80s fan man like if, if you had to narrow down a genre that you love the most 80s music's probably yours it's turning into that way it i is, wonder if yeah. that's a comfort zone thing i wonder if Maybe. that's like how I, and as you've mentioned on this podcast many times, like I, I'm a huge 80s fan. I yeah. love a lot of things from that time. Um, but I wonder if it's a nostalgia and a comfort thing going back to just what you what you knew and what you like because the, the new world's so terrifying. I agree. <laughs> but to, answer your, to finish up, to answer your question, to go back to Tool, the new album, all I'm going to say is it took me quite a few listens to actually get it. Yeah, right. And once I got it... Because they're very long songs. Very long songs. They're all about 12 minutes. The album goes for about 80 minutes. That's the maximum you could uh, fit on a a single CD. I'm just going to say that it took me a long time to get into it, but once I got into it, I really... That's right. That's how I feel about it. I I dig it. I really do. I really do. I don't know if it's... It's not my favourite album from Tool. I would be quite happy if people said, and I would agree with it, it's probably their weakest album. But it's still a damn good album. Mine is their first. And it took a lot of risks, which I appreciate. Yeah, mine is their first album. I, I really do enjoy that. And then from then on, it sort of I lost a bit of interest. But there you go. The sign, haven't we always said before, the sign of a good album is one yep. that you don't really get straight up yeah. first time. Yeah. But it repeated, repeated listens. Yeah. And, but then and you can have a flip side of that. Like every, pretty much every Deftones album that's released, I like it from the sh- as soon as I play it. They're touring next year. Deftones? Yeah, at the time of this podcast, they're part of the next um, download festival. Oh, I love the Deftones. I know you love the Deftones as well. Uh, yeah, a band, another band that I was lucky enough to see quite a number of times. I've and, seen them, yeah. And um, uh, a highlight was the Around the Fur tour at a really small pub over um, over near the airport. I can't the name of it, actually, the, the venue. But yeah, a, a really good band from a metal point of view that have changed and adapted over time to not really lose their roots, I guess, but still, yeah, they're pretty still much ebb and flow. Yeah, they're pretty much. Uh, Chino Marino's a sucker for eight for the eighties himself. Yeah, he, the Cure is a the clear Cure is a big, the Smith. They've yes. covered a Smith songs, but uh, we didn't really harp on. There was probably a hint of mentioned it, but in the nineties, uh, that new wave 
movement. They were I get, allegedly part of that. Well, probably at the start of that new wave metal. The new metal, really, like a Limp Biscuit and that shit. That like. I don't think has aged very well. No, it's aged very poorly. But the Deftones, really, when you think about it, they came from that and they moved out yeah, of that. They have quite well. Yeah, they've. You know what? Opinion. They've survived. Yeah, they're, they've survived um, for so long, and they've adapted and changed. And if you, you know what, you don't think of it off the top of your head, but if you go and listen from Adrenaline around the fur to uh, core, which is their last album at the time of this recording, they're quite different. Yeah, yeah. You know, but in a good way. I don't think they've ever really released a, a poor record. Yeah. And not many bands can say that. No, that's right. Because if you look at I a discography of a lot of bands, at some point they've had a, a bit of a, a drop the ball moment in, 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 in most people's opinion. And it's always subjective, this shit. But uh, Deftones are one of those bands, in my opinion, they've always had consistently good records. Mm. Yeah, yeah. I've enjoyed pretty much all of them. You know what I've enjoyed, Fantastic Phil? You being on this podcast. Thank you very much for having me. And I'm busting for a piss. <laughs> <laughs> That's the end of the podcast. If you got everything, anything else you want to add? Anything else you want to say? No, maybe in the future we'll keep banging on about music a bit I think more. We will. Another time and another time, another space. Another, another place, dimension. Another dimension. That's right. <laughs> Cheers, man. Cheers, man. Thanks for coming in. I appreciate it. I really do. You and your notepad. <laughs> Didn't get used that much. <laughs> it's got three words on it. Can you return them? No, I don't know. Oh, no, keep that. it because next time we'll forget everything we've said in five minutes and then we'll record again. Record and think again. We're wonderful. That's right. The same shit. Thanks for the two people that have been listening to these bullshit podcasts. Thanks for that, for letting you use your garage. I'm sorry I read it about bands. I can't help it. It's a rabbit hole I can't get out of. I wish I was musically talented, but I can't even play the guitar like it plays power chords. And I'm shit. And one time I played with Fantastic Phil in a, in a little session where he used to play bass. And I thought I was fucking king shit, but until I realized I was really, really shit when I started playing with him and Magic Craig. It's a rabbit hole I can't get out of. All I want to be is a singer. But as you can tell, I can't sing for shit. And next week, my little pop stars will go down in some more retritum and more bullshit. But until then, you can roll it, you muggies!